everybody to another episode of the Monitor Keeping Prog- Podcast. I got to get my mic set up in front of my face here, Kai. <laughs> uh, thank you guys. Yeah. Thank you guys for joining us. Um, so we just want to touch on real quick. We're brought to you by the Morelia Python Radio Network. All right. If you go onto their website at moreliapythonradio.com or .net, I think both work. Uh, you can see all the podcasts listed there. There's I think 10 podcasts uh, covering different topics in the reptile world. Um, it's it's pretty great, actually. You can get a lot of information um, listening to, I guess, the different thought processes uh, more than anything of these, these uh, um, different hosts and the ideas they come up with actually really helped me in a lot of... Um, I guess reptile keeping practices across the board, different ideas, because I keep a multitude of different things. But also when it comes to monitors, just free thinking, thinking outside the box, as a lot of these guys have had to do, especially with working with new species uh, of, or solving new problems that have come up. So give some of those a listen, get interested in all kinds of things, because there are a lot of different species out there. And uh, if you're anything like me or like Kai, one is never enough. So uh, you'll find yourself... <laughs> a few species in before you know it uh <clears throat> that being said kai how are you and hey, not bad i'm actually feeling um a little bit better i've been sick for the last few days uh i kind of got sick over the halloween um weekend i don't even know what happened but like it was saturday or something like that and man i just felt like felt like something took over me you know so i try to try to shower it off or I don't know, just try to feel better about myself. And it just started kicking my butt like Monday or Tuesday after I shipped out a bunch of boxes, man. Mm. Uh, but um, I was able to hatch out some mangrove monitors over the same weekend. Um, <laughs> we'll get, we'll get into that over, over, um, over at the end of this podcast or right now we're trying to keep things on topic for some of the Timorensis and often bird keeper out there. Um, yep. And so for the introduction for this one, really, it's just um, we'd like for people to get a better grasp on this species. Um, I think there's mix, uh, some misunderstandings with them as far as how they're related to the other species of dwarf monitors that we are commonly used to seeing here. Um, there, there's basically there's a little bit of difference within them. Um, but, yeah, we'll be getting into a little questionnaire between Alan and myself and um, I no longer keep them. Um, I used to have them when I was uh, maybe a few years back, but now um, now Alan has them, and so uh, you know he's trying his best and basically moving step and step closer and closer as as uh, you know as as he progresses. But uh, yeah, they're a little bit different compared to like Ackies or Kimberleys or the Tristis stuff that we get. Not to say that they're any worse or any better. They're just. Uh, they're an Indonesian type, or they're basically a small island endemic type of dwarf monitor rather than being from uh, main, mainland Australia. Um, so they are still imported rather than the typical Adotria that are the commonly bred in the United States, and those are all captive bred. Um, we, we will probably never see a wild-caught one imported from Australia at all. So. Um, really it'd be what's here is what's here for those types but we still get in Offenbergi and the Timorensis quite a bit um, there's a few different types they're all kind of lumped within the same group of 
a semi-arboreal, arboreal spotted little tree monitors. That's what that's what they're kind of called. Um, let's see. Offenberg, I have uh, the blue spots with the red red background. They're, mm-hmm. they're typically called peacock peacock monitors. Um, pretty gorgeous animals. I've had a few myself, and I actually kicked myself in the foot for not keeping them all, but. You know, you can't keep everything. Um, <laughs> you know, yeah. And so uh, let's see here. We have the typical Timorensis, which is like the more uh, orange and yellow spots, right? And then there's a mm-hmm. few other types like like Kisar Island. Um, yeah. and that's what? The leopard one, right? The leopard. Yeah. That's the leopard. Real high yellow. Yeah. Really high yellow. Real distinct black and yellow and white markings that really bring out, pop out the color. Um, you may be able to Google something like that and look up leopard Timmers monitor. And that will give you the Keysar Island one. Um, we have a few different islands, or and I'm not even actually 100% sure on what all of them are, but there's basically a different look to a different part of the island. And we get in random ones all the time where it can be Hoffenbergai, it can be like lesser. I would say maybe B grades or they don't just, they don't look as bright as some of the other Offenberg, you know? Yeah. Um, and then there's the yellowish Chimarensis. And then there's a orange one where it's more orange with little, little off white speckles. That one is um, less commonly seen, but still, still imported. Um, it's been a few years for, for quite a bit of them. So their prices have gone up. Um, incredibly incredibly much yeah. from being a hundred dollar lizard you know they're now somewhat sought as desired rare hard to do and you know people like people like little 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 challenges like that you know um and you so, know they they might trickle in but i'd say as of about 2016 is when we stopped seeing the numbers that they were historically coming in as uh well in the big numbers so they dried up around 2000 mid 2018 19 and 20 um you could barely find anything now that's not to say a few like there was all of a sudden a uh a similis that popped up which is the other um the other type of indonesian dwarf monitor it's basically black and white sometimes a goldish off color um not necessarily gold, like a muted gold or a yellow type yeah. of color on the back. Um, and the the pattern is just real unique on the back for the Simulus. Uh They have a really bright white throat. Uh, they get real puffy in the throat, almost like an Argus monitor. Um, they're very unique looking. And uh, there was a animal that popped up out of the blue. So it's not unheard of that you'll see one or two here or there that do pop up. Um, if you're interested in, uh, in getting those, I would try to, if you feel up to the task, if you feel like your skills are up to the task, definitely. If you see one pop up, don't wait. Uh, they go pretty quick. If yeah. not by me, then probably <laughs> somebody I know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, uh, um, this is the fact that, you know, they're not coming in anymore. People want to capitalize on it. They are now not, not that it's easier to breed, but. Yeah, more and more people are doing it bit by bit, and congratulations to those guys that have succeeded, which would be uh, Joey Muggleson and mm-hmm. I believe I'm, I hope I'm saying his last name right, but and also Ryan McVeigh as well. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, there might be a couple more guys, but I just don't know their names off the top of my head. Um, yeah, yeah, congrats to those guys to really getting what this last season, this last season in yeah. for, for those species. Um, Absolutely. 
Um, hmm. So there's been a few for Tim Moranzis as well. Uh, a few keepers that that's, you know, they don't keep very many numbers of things, but they do have success pretty regularly. Um, usually the babies are spoken for and they go quick. Um, one in particular, I know that she has sold them locally where she was at and they went pretty quick. Um, so there's a few breeders in and around, uh, the United States that do have success with them. So I would say there's, you know, one or two captive bred clutches a year, um, that do pop up, but they go quick. Uh, if you're looking to get into the project, I would suggest, uh, this is kind of a controversial thing to say, but if you're going to get one, get two or three and maybe commit to trying to further the project or maybe don't get one wait till you know leave that to somebody else to put together a group if possible and um they're amazing i'm, I'm not against keeping a one-off as a pet but i just i guess selfishly i want to see their numbers come up yeah um you know so we can have access to those animals for the future in the u.s yeah people don't pay attention to them for five years bam they're gone that's yeah, that's kind of what happened too. Um, now I think her her pediculture uh, kind of learned its lesson, you know, over the last 10, 20 years where that has actually happened more in the modern era of things. Um, and so because of that, there were a few people that saw the writing on the wall and jumped on the groups, jumped on the projects. So there are some groups out there. I have a few different types of groups. Yeah. Um, and like you said, Ryan McVeigh, um, Joey over at uh was it great the great basin great basin great basin i believe serpentarium um he's one i'd love to actually have on the on the podcast if you'd be willing to come on um yeah, i can ask him yeah because he's worked with those also the blue trees and a few a few others been successful with them plus he keeps yeah. a wide wide a range of uh he, he even has um pictures and video of uh tricolors courting that's awesome. Yeah, so that's a, that's gonna be a rare one. But uh, yeah, I can ask I can ask them to come on. Yeah, and yeah, man, but, these guys are sort of silently killing it with the success. You know, just doing yeah. their own thing in their own world. And you mentioned some of those. So I have um, a group that looks like your traditional like Offenberg I peacock monitors. But you mentioned the orange ones that have the off white speckles. Basically, I have a group like that as well. And so they're they're kept separately from the other ones. Just they came in at different times, different sources. Um, so those groups are separated. So I have those types, and then with the Timors, I have um, now you know it's it's with a grain of salt that I say these things, but if I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it right, but a group from Kupang, which is kind of mainland Timor. Um, there's a pair I have that. Now, all I can say is they look more like, uh, I think it's Wesser Island, if I'm saying that right. Um, I have um, a male, old male. He's blind as a bat, okay? <laughs> but he has the most unique color on him. He's basically a, a gold monitor, you know, gold Timor uh, through and through. His whole body is, there's little flakes of black, and then the majority of his background color is just gold. Um, and then there's a few others that I've pieced together. So the ones that came in together are together. The other ones I've tried to pair up um, as best as I can, not knowing exactly where they came from with other animals that look similar to them of hopefully the opposite sex. 
So that's kind of where everything's at. Uh, I did have a couple similis. Those have gone to, um, I let me. Those have gone to uh, a guy that's also working with similis out here. We're trying to give the project its best shot. That being said, I usually don't work hand in hand with somebody or partner up on on projects for things. Um, I've had a few people hit me up. That's why I say it. And it's, it's no offense to anybody. I'd love to work with everything, but there's different things that, that come up. Um, so if you're thinking of asking, don't be surprised if I said no, does that sound, does that sound I mean, bad? <laughs> Bring me all your projects and I will work with them. You know, <laughs> here's, here's, um, watch how I see it. Yeah, go don't, ahead. Don't even message me. <laughs> oh just kidding man i'm in i'm in my own projects and i kind of have there there could be no outside interruptions and i don't want to have out uh put my put my attention somewhere else right um, especially if you know i'm kind of not ocd type but i'd like to be managing the project you know if it's a project that's joint honestly not that i don't trust anybody i'd like to manage it myself oversee it myself yeah um, put my foot in it basically you know um it's just a hard one to do it's not it's not the there's many cons with it um you know people scamming you people taking your stuff people cheating you um mm -hmm. you know your own animal may die just that those are just like you know things that you want to worry about but uh, it's just uh for for the for the people that are really over and in control with uh, what they do, you know, for me, I, I couldn't I couldn't do outside projects too much, you know. Yeah. yeah so I gotta keep yeah, it, that's keep it simple. That's some of it. I am you know just with the the rest of the collection, work, family. Um, I don't have necessarily time to give updates that some people might want working together um, on how this is going or how that's going. It just might be at the the bottom of the list you know it's not that i'm not caring for the animals it's just taking pictures and describing it is um yeah way down on the list and and the people that i have worked with there's basically or am working with um because there, there are basically three um kind of joint projects um it's when i've taken the animals on it's been um with the understanding that Hey, there are basically no strings attached. If I'm successful and I'll give it my best shot, then, yeah. you know, we'll deal with that when it comes. And of course that'll be splitting clutches, doing things like that. Um, but it has to come with the understanding that your animal may die. Yeah. It's, it might show up dead. It might die the first week. You know? Yeah. Yeah. My um, male will just kill it or something. Right. That, and, that uh, happened. All these things come up. And, yeah. I'm not uh, responsible exactly for that. That should be kind of a, uh, one of those things that are just it's uh it's already it's a it's a thing that's given you know yeah um, you should understand kind of understand that a little bit and some of you may be really new to to the whole aspect of um doing joint projects right um don't get me wrong sounds good like let's say if you were to just me and you were novice and we're just uh piecing together black dragons right black dragons sell for what a thousand two thousand three thousand dollars yeah. Know, so we we were to raise it and and then hatch like 20 of them well that does sound like 60 g's right but the work that it took went into the, all that and everything like that and it's just uh it, it, it sounds nice it's just so much more effort <laughs> into it and money too absolutely so, you know, if you're the 
if you you just have the female and someone's got the male and he actually has the whole setup well he's actually putting together basically everything you just you just supply the female you know right he has the setups the electricity the heat the food unless you were to be breaking bread on that first stuff as well you know send the money for food basically covering your animals cost um mm -hmm. things like that it, it'll all kind of weigh out for the understanding down the line you you took your effort in you knew it was your animal even though it's in his care you're still pitching in making sure you know things make sense rather than having the gentleman that has the project do everything right um, you know so want to make it be fair I, I myself have been screwed too so it's like uh, i'm super cautious on on what's what i make sure everything is kind of ironed out in agreement even if you got to write it down yeah don't uh, don't just have uh, friendly friendly agreements have written shake handshaking um agreements where you know you write down sign stuff or at least you know on the up and up with stuff you know right um that that's got to be really understood don't just jump into stuff think about the money and bam it's like you're actually at, end up asked out more than anything so yeah, yeah and then i've had things like uh when the, taking on the the blue tree monitors um i i ended up killing one um, I do believe it was a reproductive event issue and it just went sideways on me. I was finally getting to that point, but it almost took a year to really even get them locked on, um, to handle more than just, you know, to be able to not totally stress out at just the basic maintenance that I had to do. Um, for the longest time, they would not touch anything but dubia. Um, and that was rarely. And so they, they were not they weren't at a horrible they never got to a horrible weight but it just took them so long to finally like click and catch on now thankfully you know thankfully they're they're locked on completely they are eating multiple different food items um and i know i have uh i believe now i have actually two pairs so um so i'm hoping good things for that uh but you know, these things happen. I wish I could say even with adult animals, there'd be a quick turnaround and promise somebody the world, especially when they trust me with such a, a great opportunity. But uh, it took a while. And um, yeah, I ended up killing one. So I, I replaced that one and then another one to make the project work because I'm committed to it. But that's that's also me. If, if I do commit to something, I want to commit to it fully and make it work no matter what. I'm kind of stubborn that way. Yeah. Um, yeah, I know Kai is too because you're still keeping monitors, so that means you're stubborn. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I do things. Uh, you know, I used to be like to try to. I mean, not to say like being having friends is bad. You know, you want to have, you want to have friends and connections, but you want to basically be keep your wits about you with with stuff. You know, especially with like newcomers. Me and you may not know or people just. Uh, I don't know, man. It's all it's all about the money. Right. Uh, I, you know, sure. The money's there, but I do it because I really like these lizards, you know. So, yeah. you know, I'm not just gonna like discard them off, or or if the project takes a little turn, I'm not just gonna quit right away. It's gonna, you know, you're gonna put your your all into it as much as you can until it really you can't anymore. Um, you know, that's Dory anus. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a, a big kicker, man. Um, uh. Yeah, I guess uh, 
we, we went on a tangent. Yeah, we got to yeah, go back to the teamers. Teamers, uh, <laughs> uh, how big are your enclosures? And uh, you have them just set up like your like you would do your tree monitors, or you have them like your ackies, or so. I've tried a few different things. I've tried um, like your traditional four by two. Uh, yeah. I've tried um, I've tried a six by two. I've tried a three by three. Now they are set up, um, and so everybody understands. I've tried a few things. I've tried um, nest boxes for the most part, placed in different locations, different um, temperatures that I've played around with. Um, what I can say is that they are very durable animals and they can survive in a lot of different conditions. Um, I've kept them wetter. I've kept them drier. I've kept them basically given them a really dry season now um, through the summer with a group of them. Uh, I'm trying all kinds of different things with them um, because I haven't seen the level of success that I wanted to. And some of these I've raised since they were pretty much babies and I haven't, it's been over a year. I haven't seen the level of success. Now, like Caius mentioned in the past, they, they're dwarf monitors. So I'm in this mindset that dwarf monitors can go by eight months easy, but they're also Indonesian monitors. So where that might be true, if everything is correct for them, um, you know, in my situation, maybe I haven't necessarily been offering them something they need to, to reach that, that, um, reproductive success so now they're in four by two and a half by two and a half foot enclosures um they have <clears throat> this is just the timor setup so far the other cages i'm still um finishing off as far as like the cages are done but the cork tubes the way i have them set up everything the lighting even uh, i'm missing messing around with different light bulbs um and I'll get into why that happened in a second. But um, so I believe with that kind of, I have a, a 10 inch litter dam. So they now have full cage nesting as well as a nest box. Um, so they have a variety of different choices. They have hides like you would set up in a traditional dwarf monitor cage, cork tubes in there, but they also have elevated hides. Um, so one of the thing is, one of the things I've noticed about them is um, they are very comfortable using elevated hides as well as digging a burrow into the ground uh, when offered to them. And in both instances, one of the things I've noticed with them is if they're in a tight cork tube, they will curl their tail around just like a tree monitor. Uh, and if they dig a burrow, they'll curl their tail around in there just like a um, kind of like a, um, an Aki would do, but totally curled around like a tree monitor as well. Um, so it's kind of interesting behavior to see how they, they're not quite dwarf monitor like we know them as far as what, what else we have available. Um, but they don't necessarily fit into e Indonesian monitor as we would traditionally think of things because they can handle a lot, of, a lot of things. Like you can set them up just like an Aki and probably be fine uh, with a little less heat. Um, that being said, I'm still figuring it out. And I say that because my personal goal is reproduction and once i get babies and i breed those babies and i'm set up and and things are at somewhat of a regular interval i'll feel like okay now i i got a little bit of a handle on it i know what i'm doing so um these new cages allow me to make a lot of changes on the fly they allow me to uh 
control the temperatures, the humidities, uh, the humidity, and a lot of things. They're totally waterproof on the inside. Uh, I could fill the thing with water if I, I needed to, not that I'm going to. He already things. did and showed me a video of it. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, look. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but um, it I can even adjust the ventilation on them um, to fit what I need. And um, so I'm just, I'm, I guess I'm throwing everything at it that I got to figure these guys out and give them the choice. Um, so half, I would say half of them went through a kind of a, a seasonal change this year where the other half, I'm just keeping status quo, um, to see what happens and I'll compare the two. So if I have more success with the animals that went through more of the dry season, um, and restricting water, then I will continue to do that in the future. Whereas if I start seeing success and it was more that they needed, I don't know, two and a half years um to reach that age maybe that was it but i won't know till you know i start seeing things start writing things down keeping notes of what i'm seeing and and uh keeping record of the success hopeful success in the future how many uh how many feel like i got (laughs) how many clutches have you killed oh see there's a so one two three I've got a total of five clutches and of either the, the peacocks or the Timors. Um, three of those clutches actually had viable eggs. And the first clutch of 13 wonderful, beautiful peacock oh, yeah. monitors that I've, I've explained before, but um, those all died. And uh, I did have an incubation malfunction, um, but then the I had a clutch of three peacock monitors this last season, um, and one died in the uh, I'm sorry, one died earlier on. I think it went about two and a half months, and then uh, the other two died at like day I think 199 or 100. I think I uh, cut into the eggs because they started looking different and you could tell something was going on. So when I cut those open, I actually saw that the animals were kinked inside, um, pretty much dead in the egg, fully formed, but dead in the egg. Um, and then the, the one Timor egg, uh, never made it. It just sat there. It never actually even changed shape. It was the weirdest (laughs) thing. It never dented. It never molded. It just didn't do anything. It just, those are the eggs yeah. that trick me the most. And they yeah. actually, when you candle them, they're just blank. There's yeah. nothing inside. I mean, it looks like there's something because there's there's volume of whatever's inside and it kind of has a shadow. But that's yeah. it. It doesn't have veins. It can be three, four months old. There's nothing in it. And right. But it, it's like all yellow and it's, it's a trip. Yeah. 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 But, but it I never get, I get those eggs all the time. It never did anything. So um, I was just incubating a zombie egg, I guess. Um, so I, you know, I did have the three from a brand new female last year. Um, so that was what I knew I was doing then though, was I was spraying every day, uh, just a quick blast. Uh, the cages were set up basically to retain almost all humidity, very little ventilation in the way I had it set up, but it wasn't, I didn't have mold issues or anything like that. Um, so with the new cages, uh, they have uh, heat. Their hot spot is about 115. 
Um, the cage gets down to about 77 on the cool end. Um, they have full cage nesting. They have, like I said, the, the nest box as well. They have um, all kinds of hides throughout there. Um, they are going to now start getting um, misted pretty regularly, but it's come, not come, like I'm come, come, um, come rainy season, right? Yeah. I've, I've, I've started a little bit, just quick blasts. It's not saturating at all. It's like a real, just real superficial mist layer that I'm doing right now. And not even on the cold end of the cage, just usually right under the basking area, right around there. Yeah. It's like a quick spritz and that'll increase a little bit. Um, as we get in, like Kai was mentioning into the rainy season. So that's the plan. See how it goes. If that works, then that's, you know, what I'm going to be sticking to and make my adjustments off of that. So I really, I really want to see some success. Of course, I want to see success with all the projects, but the uh, Indo Dwarfs are very near and dear to my heart. Um, I want yeah. to figure them out. We got to figure out what works. You know, some yeah. people just uh, can hit it. Maybe something happens with them naturally throughout their their whole um their whole region where they're from and it may, it may be beneficial to them breeding um some stuff we actually have to manipulate ourselves you know um basically control the temperature of the room control the enclosure a little bit more um and i saw how you mentioned that you only use 115 surface temperature um i i honestly would this should be a pretty good topic because everybody's always preaching about 140 and 150 and even 160 um you know, for some species of monitors, like large Australian stuff and maybe even large African stuff, no problem. Um, but my mangroves or the cool jungle monitors, 115, 125, 130 max. Yeah. Anything, anything above that, it's not that they don't use it. It's uh, it's just really hot. It just gets the whole enclosure extremely hot, and they seem to be liking the the small basking area that doesn't radiate throughout the whole enclosure yeah so that 115 120 is good while the rest of the enclosure is 85 degrees you know um something like that oh i should bring this up so a group of five um i i'm gonna call them peacock monitors there's that orange variety that we were talking about um they <laughs> little bastards <laughs> so i had the the hot spot set up so it was about 115 to 120 throughout the day where i intended the basking spot to be now if you can imagine a like a mini dome light that was at pointed at this basking spot there was in my mind there was no way for them to get to a higher temperature so it worked out perfect but as i stated i had put in some into different cages, some arboreal hides. Some of these are like hanging cork tubes. So these little punk lizards, <laughs> sometimes you have irregularities in a cork tube where there's like a, a large enough of a hole in the tube on the side somewhere where these animals can stick their head out and stick their necks out. I had three out of this group of five basically find that one spot on this log where they could stick their head and shoulders out from the arboreal hide and, and position themselves enough under the basking spot so that they could, the light would hit them 
and now they all have small burns on their necks. And I'm just, I'm mad at myself for not catching it. And they're secretive. So it's one of the things is it's hard to see that they were getting burnt. Had I noticed the first one, of course that would have been changed right there. Um, but they're secretive. I don't try to mess with them too much. So, um, it wasn't until one day where I basically snuck in there like a ninja without turning the lights on to, to see what was going on in their cage. And, um, that I noticed one had the burn mark on it. And so after that, I tore the cage apart. I looked at what was going on. So basically at the back of the cage, at the back of the cage lengthwise, I had a cork tube. Um, the, the mini dome was basically in the middle It's pointed down. Um, at some material that I was getting the temperatures I wanted to. And I didn't think that there was any way for them to get to a hotter temperature. I even temp gunned the cork tube itself and it wasn't getting anywhere near, it was like 90 degrees, but um, so they could be on the inside of the cork tube. It'd probably be 85 or less on the inside of the cork tube, which I thought this is perfect. They can use the rising heat or the heat rating off of that mini dome inside that cork tube they can reach certain temperatures and never have to uh, expose themselves because they do like to stay hidden um they set for that one hole in there when i'm not in the room they were sticking their heads out under it and burning the back of their necks and um yeah so i learned a lesson with that so got to avoid that got to make sure there's no way that they can they so basically they're choosing to bask from security is <coughs> is what's going on. They didn't want to be in the open. They didn't want to use the basking spot that I provided them. They would rather stay concealed most of the time or in that cork tube and just stick out their head and shoulders um, and bask that way, which was causing burns. So yeah, learned a lesson on that. Um, so change that around. And again, that's why I'm aiming for the lower temperatures as well with them because they will burn. You can't keep them like uh, an Australian monitor. Yeah. Um, now even my Australian stuff, which I only have, um, I only have uh, the Kimberly Rock monitors, right? I have islands surrounding Australia, but not exactly Australia. So the only animals that I have from Australia would be the Kimberly Rocks. I too do not keep my Kimberly Rocks and allow them to bass more than one forty, uh, maybe one twenty five, one thirty, but when I get them to breed the most is when I turned it down to 115 and 110. And then the all also the, the whole ambient basically becomes a little lower. Mm -hmm. And they rock much more during that time than when it's blistering up. So it's weird. Yeah. Whatever is the normal that's being, you know, talked about and regularly preached as far as what's the good norm right and don't get me wrong we used to be that type too and we still utilize it from here and there on some of the bigger species but really the uh some of the cooler animals don't don't necessarily want it that hot right in a way that's that's what i'm reading from what they're showing me what they give me the most behavior in when they're not looking like oh man i'm just sitting here caked in a cage you know um they basically are doing a whole bunch of stuff and reproducing i'm going to take that as a good sign yeah and that i should you know stick to that now and my 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 temperatures obviously aren't the same just naturally in 
where I live. It'll be kind of drastically cold and dry. It's rarely ever really humid, but we have been getting more humidity here just because the, the fog has been rolling in thick, hmm. man. <laughs> and, um, you know, it's it adds a good amount of humidity for the very first part of the day, which yeah. typically it'd be a, if there was no fog, it's basically cold and dry. So that's not that great for monitors. Right? Yeah. And so you, um, but it's not great. I don't want to reiterate that. It's not great for them to live in and obviously exist in. But what that does to your natural temperature in your house, in your enclosures, in the room that they're in, basically takes it down to a very low humidity rate. Mm-hmm. And um, that percentage that you want, <clears throat> if you're going to capitalize it on it right now, you'd be calming your animals down, cooling stuff down, basically taking advantage of it right now. Um, if you didn't do much of this prior in the summertime, you know, you'd start now and then basically cool your animals down from November, December, January ish. And maybe once February and March comes around, you can kick them back up. But if you think about it, this time of the year may be a great time for you to tone it down. If you've been hot, feeding a ton, all that in summertime. But let's say if you weren't and you were doing what me and Alan are currently doing, which were we are basically, you know, at bat back and forth and we're essentially trading ideas. I'm utilizing what I work with my guys that are in from Indonesia and basically he's applying it to his. And what we're doing is tackling the southern hemisphere on how the weather would work there first. Mm-hmm. Now, we already are familiar with the Northern Hemisphere. That's how you do tortoises. That's how you do colubrids. That's how you're doing ball pythons, other pythons, boas, things like that, right? You guys are essentially cooling them down from, like, what, September, October, November-ish, right? And then they'll get to going. Um, these, what we're doing here in Australia, in not sorry, not in Australia. <laughs> um, in Indonesia, we jumped. <laughs> in, in Indonesia, basically, summertime would have been their driest season. Okay, it's basically not exactly what you think as far as um, uh, alligator crackling pavement. And in some areas, yes, but really, it's it's the ground is still the ground is still just dry on the surface. It still saturates and creates humidity on itself but there's less clouds and so at nighttime what happens is when there's no clouds all that humidity just escapes Mm -hmm. right typically clouds would hold over a forecast and that creates a barrier it even creates a barrier just like you you don't even have to be in australia to, to know that you know when there's a huge forecast here and it's extremely hot in the day those clouds basically trap in all that heat right it's facts and so with this humidity, because that's what humidity—that's what derives humidity—is heat and moisture. <clears throat> you are then going with what is done in Australia. Oh, sorry, in Indonesia, um, and basically you're cooling them down. Cool, cooler nights, drier season all summer, and then when it starts to really rain naturally here in California, where we're from, or in the in North America, we're actually just, right, we, we all kind of go through that, the winter together, some more harsh than other, but it's basically cold. From mm-hmm. Washington to even parts of Florida, you're 
going to experience a tad bit more colder, more rain, more storms, more whatever you're going to deal with that is, is basically going to be beneficial for you and your animal. The pressure will have dropped, the rain would have come, and your animals would basically be in totally different environments now as far as everything goes from when it was summer and then what it is now or right. or the coming weather which is you know colder it's going to rain and naturally what you're going to do sometimes is heat your enclosures more you are not using ac anymore because the temperatures are now just 70 but they're not cold enough where you're going to use the heater yet right this is what this is what i'm going through now <clears throat> so this is kind of like a drop in the heat it's going to start to get colder but it's not that cold yet so your cages have actually just started getting hotter because there's no more ac running around yeah your, your things have slowly started to change these are just all micro this is within two three weeks of each other you know um so <sighs> not everybody is this in tuned and we understand that but if you can draw out a calendar help yourself get more in tuned basically figure out from what I talked about, which would be beginning of summer, all the way till next spring is when you're going to start to draw your calendar. Now, for me, I draw two whole years because might as well. I'm just, I have all the time, you know, and I, I literally am to make one clutch that I just hatched out. I prepared several months in advance before the breeding part, before they ever mated. I prepared them for this. So... Um, I would draw out more than just several months because, you know, it's, you're not really going to, you're not going to see the whole picture if you're just drawing out a few months. Um, now, well, you may be confused a little bit. So I would basically have you do a Northern Hemisphere and then a Southern Hemisphere. And then basically do two different years and have one labeled northern hemisphere where you tackle it the right the right way and then one northern hemisphere where you tackle it in another in another right way it's just really depends on how your how your weather flows and how you're going to tackle it let's say if you've been trying the northern hemisphere and it hasn't been working for you try the southern hemisphere one mm -hmm. if you've been doing the southern hemisphere one which most people don't <clears throat> do the northern hemisphere one and you will have to, though, be very strict on your change because what you've been doing for so long, you have to do everything different. Things with your diet, Terry, your temperature, how much water you place in there, things like that are all going to be lined up with how you're going to try to breed. If you have a ton of water and um, you're, you're, you're regularly missing things because you think, oh, they're from this, the Solomon Islands and it rains there a lot and I'm going to you know, basically dredge my enclosure. <clears throat> that, that can actually hinder your whole process if you're supposed to be doing it dry right now. Um, so this can be confusing. Uh, the way I'm explaining it, I hope it's a little bit less if you can just kind of line them up with either northern or southern. So you have two points to really work on. Um, and study and so you know you're you can try to then really uh then apply it and and see if it'll work for you but um yeah man it's it's uh it's not easy uh 
it definitely takes a whole lot of practice and we're trying to see if these would work for the monitors that are basically not being bred regularly right um yeah it's it seems like uh you know there's a lot of guys that have water monitors figured out i've never messed with them i i had two that came in and went right back out as soon as i could um that you know that's my experience with water monitors but obviously people are having a lot of success out there with them working with them uh and then of course we're doing the or i'm doing a lot of the australian monitors kai's got the kims um and it's I will, I will go ahead and say, I don't, <laughs> I don't know how this will look in 10 years, but right now they're easier. That's one of the reasons I think we we recommend like Aki's or a lot of people will recommend Aki's as a good starter monitor. Um, Aki's are durable. Their eggs are durable. Uh, I have, you know, <laughs> I've had some accidents where the uh, incubation accidents where they're the consistent thing that has made it through has been Aki eggs every time. It's like, I, I don't even, holds, it's fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You're looking at a, you know, looking inside the egg and the animal hatches out with the rest of them just fine. Um, but you know, it, an egg, you don't even do nothing to it and they're all. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Just blow on it. Um, <laughs> so they, they've really surprised me how durable they are. Um, so, and they're great. They're, absolutely great animals to have and work with um you don't have to do a lot of this thinking you can get your feet you know wet by just caring for a monitor seeing how a monitor acts getting familiar with uh the way a monitor does thing it's it's different than a bearded dragon or a leopard gecko and i say those just because they're the most common out there um, what's crazy is that we can also do the same thing to bearded dragons and leopard geckos the same, well, yeah same thing yeah same exact thing you know, yep. that's what they would, they're not, they're not going to have the same weather all year round. We know bearded dragons are going to brumate or whatever. Yep. That's kind of what they should be doing. Yeah. Yeah. I'm doing that with the, that other project, you know, messing around with those too. Well, we won't um, get there yet, but you know, it's, it's where it's just things that talked about, but it's not understood completely. And right. then some people think it's uh Oh, you can, you can skip it. Right. Or, you don't have to do it. Just keep them up. It's a little bit more beneficial for them to actually go through that fast, go through that right. part of famine. They, they, they lean out. They're, some of them are really good at tucking away, and, you know, they, they can drop their, their heartbeats down to a very low rate and basically cut out all the metabolism, everything. And so they're designed to do it. Yeah. do it. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that next time because this is not a big dragon podcast. <laughs> <laughs> not yet, not yet. Um, you know, that being said, I guess I it is the monitor keeping podcast, but there's um there's a few things that I've thought about, and I'll talk to Kai about it in the future, having some other keepers on that keep some other um mainly large lizards. Um, but some of the the ideas, the things they've had to go go through. Um, you know, could spur on some more ideas or maybe solve some problems we've been having. We just never knew to look in that direction. Yeah. Uh, so kind of gets, gets you thinking on different, different planes. Um, <clears throat> I mute myself. <laughs> Sorry guys. Alan's dying. <clears throat> yeah. I don't know. We're like both sick or something. 
We're just oh like, man, yeah. I'm back. I'm okay. It was just I could feel it coming on. I was like, oh, I better mute this now and just go through it. Uh, <laughs> but um, we were talking about Timor's. We've covered a little bit about um, Indonesian monitors and seasonal changes. Reading some of the more, I would say. Uh, maybe not rare monitors, but uh, the ones that have been bred in captivity. Um, I guess I'll touch on real quick the the Savannah monitor project. Um, oh, I'm nice. seeing some some good things. Uh, the the male used to be the more aggressive when food was out. Now the female yeah. is not nearly as large as the male, um, but it's almost as if they've changed roles where she's become more dominant with the the food i've yeah. uh seen some behaviors that just kind of tell me she might be ramping up for something i mean i'll, I'll still have to watch it uh, so i kept them dry throughout the summer um very little access to water uh, very dry in the cage i did i they were still feeding it just wasn't at the same rate so now uh water's back in the cage starting to increase the humidity and they're getting fed a little heavier. Um, <clears throat> so I, I have been seeing some basic things, some head twitching from the male over the female. Um, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But it, this is what I wanted to do. Uh, I feel like it's in line with kind of the, the discussion we have with Linnea on yeah. things. So, you know, we'll see, we'll see what comes of it. And uh, it's kind of exciting. Linnea is right now in or just just finished and leaving Africa. Yeah, uh, we had her on doing a uh, snub nose Savannah Monitor podcast, um, and uh, she has successfully bred them. Uh, basically, right. I walked her through kind of what I do with mine. She applied it to hers, uh, even in a bigger scale. Only not on purpose exactly, but. What she did was she took her female and her male and she basically gave them a cycle and cool period for six months. It wasn't intentional to be that long. She actually started, had to move in the middle, and then basically just kept them more chill rather than full-blown running. Mm -hmm. So once she was done with that and she basically got them cranked back up, her female would lead 100 eggs, I think like 30, 40 eggs, and then next clutch is another 30 eggs, and then more clutches after that. So, I mean, you think about a lot of eggs out of one female. Right. Um, and this is, okay, when you, how do I say this? Um, it's it's, it's, <laughs> it's going to be a little bit difficult to understand, but when you give them a break, and you basically either brewmate them or cool them down or whatever you want to call it, right? <clears throat> he, the, the cycle is basically closed. And then when you are taking them and giving them a re relaxed period, um, you know, they're kind of eating maintenance feeding, no, nothing too crazy, right? And so once they're all of a sudden gears kicked back in, um, it opens up again okay and then you know you're feeding the animal more and you know it's developing follicles and it's continually going right i've noticed when the animals have had several months to ch just chill and there's no breeding there's just light maintenance food the whole cycle 
of reproductivity is super long and so many clutches rather than when I'm just keeping them the same 24 seven every day. Yeah. Um, that's been my experience. This has been my experience with not just one breeding pair, but several breeding pairs of monitor lizards um, from Australian to Indonesian um, and the local islands in and around there. Okay. From Papua New Guinea to uh, the islands in between Australia and New Guinea, just I have monitors from just about all those Micronesia areas. And so um, it works. It works. I, I know it works. And, you know, this is, it works with other people and their species. So if you guys ha are, are interested in trying, you know, these things and willing to give it a go for some of the stuff that you haven't been reading, you know, it might be something to take on. Mm -hmm. yeah, for sure. Yeah. You know, it's funny. I, I've had these conversations with Kai, but I've, I've been reluctant to put it out there because I don't know what I'm seeing yet. Um, it's it's maybe a, a little bit hard to see with Aki's and um, because they just seem so ready to be able to reproduce and breed and go through the motions. Um, but I, I do think I'm starting to see it with them too. So when I do allow things a break, uh, a cool off sometime during the season, um, I won't even say it's consistent with the seasons. I will just yeah, say just a break, just a break. Yeah. yeah. Um, that when I then go into, okay, you know, get them back up and running more food, whatnot, temperatures up. Uh, they do seem to produce better. I know I have one, um, specific Aki female where I have a lot better success with her when I do that. So it's a clutch feed her up, take a break, and then give her a good solid three-month break, and then heat her up to a little bit more, just the ambience in the cage, uh, the actual basking spot about 20 degrees, and um, feed her up again, and it it's back on. Um, other ones, I don't have to do that. I can keep them the same throughout the year, and they pretty much do their thing. Uh, I've also noticed it with the Tristis. So um, I... I had to unfortunately change them around a bunch during this, all the stuff that I had going on. Um, <clears throat> but I expect certain things out of them. Um, I, I hate even saying it cause I don't know what I'm seeing. It's just when I, when I do give them a break, cool them down a little bit, then ramp them back up. It seems like it, it does trigger, uh, that reproductive, uh, event to happen. So, um, yeah. It's not necessarily like with the Indonesian stuff we're talking about, we're following a strict, more strict protocol uh, about how to get there. Now the Australian stuff's been here for, um, you know, 30 years already. So it's, it's generations and generations of captive bred animals. Uh, you couldn't go and, and try to switch them. Well, I, I say that that's actually a wrong thing to say. They, <laughs> these babies are not the same babies that you would go find in Australia. They're just not. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. We'd have to acclimate those ones from Australia probably too, to what we do here, you know? Right. Um, yeah. Half of ours would probably die right off a rock because they'd run <laughs> up out there <laughs> and get eaten by the first thing out there. Um, but, you know, we also have to consider the fact that uh, on that note that the Australian stuff, because we've had it here so long, we've probably unintentionally bred it. Um, to perform in certain ways. So obviously 
the ones that we didn't have to figure out how to feed exactly what it wanted, the more opportunistic feeders probably grew faster, grew better, and bred quicker. So that got passed on. Um, you could say the same thing as far as the the fertile animals, the ones that were uh, ready to reproduce. Those animals probably got more attention than the, than the other ones. So eventually, 30 years of doing this pretty much unintentionally has led us to what we have here. Now, what we would call an Aki here. Um, so it might not be the same as, as what's out in the wild. Now, that being said, it might not even make a difference. Um, but just some things to think about. Um, that's a whole nother tangent, man. We're <laughs> yeah. I could go off on that for a while. And, and I do. And, and the conversations with Kai, you know, it's like, what if I do this? What if I try that? What do you think about this? Um, but that at this point, trying to let that loose on the podcast would probably just sound like crazy talk. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not everybody might get that. Yeah. Yeah. And we throw around crazy ideas, guys. Uh, there's some things it's like, why would you ever do that? But hey, yeah. it might be the thing that you know people are doing. And like uh, people think that uh, 40 and 50 degrees is uh, freezing. Oh yeah, it's not. Oh, oh, good. In a controlled sense. And yeah. It's, uh, freezing or not? It's not even freezing, right? I shouldn't say that word because freezing is dirty below. But uh, uh, if it's 40 and 50 degrees and your animal can still bask the later on that day for me right for my kimberlies uh, i'm cooling them down right my males are definitely get to be uh, 60s at nighttime or they're headed that way right and mm -hmm. uh, and so when it is going to be december and january and even february is kind of chilly um they'll be gradually or sorry the uh, going down in temperature and essentially be 70s and then 60s and then maybe even nights of 50s and stuff like that where all those are no problem so getting down to 60s maybe a better better controlled temperature for some people um but i've gone pretty low for some of my stuff as far as temperature wise and um below 60 is 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 uh it was the number for at least several several days and it's not a complete several days it's just the mornings you know just the nighttime when when it's uh what one to six o'clock in the morning that are the coldest right things like yeah. that and um <clears throat> and really you know i might crack the window open let the actual draft come in hit the cage draw it down um i actually moved that enclosure that the Kimberleys are in now, and I just moved it right in front of the window. That yeah. before, before it was away from the window, and I would have to drop the temperature and um, worry about the cages below, underneath heating it up more. And also, it's not really you know it's not on the floor, so it actually maintains the temperature really well. So what I would have to do is just cut off all the lamps, really, right? Mm -hmm. But uh, I got better better success and better fertility out of the males after i've started to just um get them single separate alone in their own cage and basically at what do you call 60s at nighttime you know no yeah. problem yeah yeah you mentioned that and i had a uh, i had a buddy hit me up today who was basically um 
felt a little pressure because the heat lamp on his Savannah's cage went out and this is a full adult. He's, you know, um, I want to say he might be six or seven years old or whatnot. And so the ambient in the room was low seventies. Um, and he's like, I can't get to the, the shop today to get the right light bulb for this. What do I do? Kind of thing. And I said, nothing, <laughs> don't do a damn thing. You know, um, he could probably go through the entire winter with the amount of size. He's, he's not fat. He's not unhealthy at all. Just a normal adult Savannah monitor. He could more likely go through the whole winter and come out the other end just fine. Full um, ready to breed. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, and that, that's the truth is we forget sometimes, you know, um, how durable they are. Or a lot of times I hear people bring it up with, they say, I'm going on vacation. What should I do? You turn the lights on medium yeah. and leave. Yeah. Yeah. Turn them, or turn them off. If your house stays a certain temperature, you could actually just turn them off, you know, let them clear out uh, whatever foods in their system and then turn them off. Uh, I've done that for up to two weeks. It's never had an issue with it. Um, and I say that for most of the Australian stuff. I don't have, I haven't tried that with the Indonesian stuff quite the same way, but I would think knowing kind of doing their research with Kai as far as what they go through during the, the year, there's plenty of times where they're nights uh, or even in the daytime, you're in the sixties and it's not very hot. It's um, the humidity is relatively low. Um, so I, I would think they, you know, hole up somewhere and hide away and do just fine. Um, yeah. Yeah. Mine, like if, if I turn off all the lamps or, and, uh, and even just having the cage sit at room temperature, right. They still they still go all the way to where it's sixty and seventy degrees. Yeah. Regardless, right? I took a, a I tried to show somebody, hey, here's my cool side, right? And so he asked me what the temperature was, and I temp gunned it, and it said seventy five degrees, right? And you know these lizards aren't supposed to be from places that typically stay eighty, you know? Yeah. Or or people aren't realizing that they like the chill. Now when we're looking at temperatures and we're studying stuff. Rarely ever is it surface temperature that is given to us. Very rarely. Mm -hmm. What you're looking at on Google Map or sorry, Google temperature or whatever, the, the weather and everything like that, right? That's probably temperature taken just by a random person in the shade. Or <laughs> just, you know, like it, it it's not it's not a hundred percent accurate on microhabitus surface temperature yes and when i say microhabitus is basically something that's gonna and they escape into a little nook and cranny it can be a, a stone hedge with two bricks that are that have a gap and bam that's a microhabitat for some little lizard that's gonna tuck in there um those can get really chilly and we, we don't we don't really know and so um it's uh it's a thing that we basically had to try and test out here. Yes. Um, just, all right, 70 degrees. We're going to go with 70 degrees as low first. Yeah. They can handle 70, no problem. Let's do 65, you know. 65 yep. seems to be okay. Let's do 60 and 50. And then my, my, my good number now is a good high 50s, low 60s for a possible nighttime drop where they can sit. Now, um, my whole room is... 80 degrees um it's a grasshopper monitor room so it's hot um especially upwards right 
when you're on a ladder and you're in the ceiling, it's dang near 90 degrees. <laughs> but on the pass floor, out, fall off the ladder. <laughs> yeah, on the floor, the key just sit on the floor. Now they no longer sit on dollies really anymore because I'm utilizing as much surface temperature, floor temp as I can to actually help me cool my monitors down rather than being in a hot room that's 80 degrees and i'm still trying to cool them down and they're elevated off the floor so you know the, the air that gets under there can essentially buffer the cage and warm it up when the actual sitting on the cold um, slab of floor draws out some of that heat and then the lizards get to sleep there whenever they want to mm -hmm. um, or go there and retreat if the cage happens to get too hot it's beneficial for me, um, beneficial for them regulating sperm and eggs. And it's mostly for my male. You know, the females, I have her just on a taper. But the male is who I'm really worried about. I need his juices good because if not, we're just shooting blanks and we're doing all of this for nothing. <laughs> so, um, you know, try to want to be better about it. Try to learn also what we're, what we're doing with other animals as well and even snakes and tortoises or, or other people breeding teggies and iguanas or, you know, things like that, right? Um, that whole, it's cooler, eating less, or basically this time of famine, the weather's changed, it doesn't support them anymore. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> that is very beneficial. Um, so, yeah, you guys that are possibly, you know, newer to some of this and just keeping your monitors all year round, I don't recommend you just jumping in and turning off lamps, but you'll have to kind of study it and then figure out when you're going to do it the most. Yeah. Um, it could be summertime. It could be wintertime. But give them a little break. They last longer and live longer. Less, <laughs> fat, less fat. Yeah, absolutely yeah. less fat. That, Way less fat. Man. Uh, <sighs> mm, no, I'll leave that one alone for now. Um We'll get back to that another time, maybe later in this episode. But uh, uh, just to update everybody and Kai, kind of what's going on with uh, the Dorianus. So I took a hit on that project, which I've shared a little bit. But now the flip side of things, the uh, the animals that are still with me, um, they're doing absolutely great. Uh, one of the ones that Kai sent me, um, he is pretty much like just becoming one of the most chill monitors in the whole group of everything that real bright guy is um yeah that's good that's one you want to keep forever because yeah that, um, a mean male basically it it's not that he's a he can be a horrible breeder but he's just gonna respond so wrong you know yeah. when the female is doing whatever she's doing and defending herself or scared you want him to just be like oh all right whatever freak out mm -hmm. i'm just gonna go over here wait till you chill out you know um but uh a frantic man would just turn it into a whole fight you know <laughs> oh and then the other thing is the two young ones um they are looking absolutely great they're thick little monkeys they're growing fast i mean really nice looking tail bases on them you can just tell overall and i rarely see them out um, so I have to go in there and dig them up and they never like that, but they're together now. I'm just trying this for me, um, seeing how it goes, but they are both doing great. Um, they're using the entire cage from what I can tell. 
Um, so I'm, I know that things are working for them mm. as far as how I have them set up. Um, the other thing about them is that I'm still new to them, but the, their overall shape, when I compare them both together, the slope of the nose or the size of the head or the nostrils, whatnot are, is are they different. different? They're nice. different. They're it's night and day different. So that's very, very, um, I got a lot of hope. <laughs> yeah. Man. I'm hoping. Yeah. And it's, yeah, it's interesting to tell so early on because I can pick up two Ackies and I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. Uh, so uh, um, for me, right, I guess it's not, it's true with a lot of other monitors and there's like different aspects in the head that kind of give you a clue, right? But for me, it's the, the three points between the eye and the nostril and then the very tip of the nose. Okay? Yeah. So the distance between those are shorter for your female. And then her, her nose would basically look like it's been, she's pushed it against the wall and it's kind of like yeah. has a duck, a duck bill. Right. Yeah. Um, and then the male is basically, it's slightly more elongated and the distance between his nostril and his eye is longer. And then the distance between his nostril and the tip of his mouth is also longer. So it's interesting you say that because I, as you do, we get pictures from people saying, um, yeah, some different things. And a lot of times people think that, that, like you said, that pushed in nose, it looks to them like a bulkier head. Yeah. And so they think it's a male. And, um, a lot of times what you're seeing is actually that female. Um, and this isn't a true, this is not true across the board with things. We're just saying in this, we're talking Indicus type species. Yeah. Um, but I, I've also noticed it in the, that old pair of Timors I have. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they're kind of interesting because they're the color of their tongues is different than the rest of them. Um, they're that male that's super gold. And then the, the female has that definitely that pushed in type look to her nose yeah. And I'm almost wondering, man, I'm like, where, where exactly did you guys, come? what are you, uh, <laughs> you know, and I won't say too much about it. I can speculate all day about this. Now, or that, now when you're, uh, are, do you do the white bucket trick with the, the, the Dorianus yet where you put, I don't even the, know what the white bucket trick is. Uh, uh, it's kind of like, you're just, so the white bucket, basically it's a bleak, a bleak black background right so it doesn't kind of confuse you at all with whatever um uh-huh. you play if you place two animals that are similar in size in the bucket and i mean it's basically to look over them right yeah and you have you can sort of try to tell the difference right now look at the tail in proportion with the rest of the male's body it should basically be long but yeah. if it's a female it'll have a, a much shorter tail it's not going to have the extra length. It'll basically be the the vent, obviously, then some portion part of the tail, but it's not going to have the long, crazy curl over. If you pay attention, because they're both similar size monitors, see if that one with the snub nose also has a shorter tail. It actually um, does. And I, yeah. I I say that just because I'll send them both to you uh, one, once we're done recording here, but... I just took two videos basically. And I like videos because you get shots. It's like, what sex is mine? I, I have no clue. You're looking at a still shot, but a lot of times short videos are a lot better in looking at the overall monitor. Um, 
And in my opinion, easier to tell. You have a better chance telling what sex it is um, with a short video looking over the entire monitor than you do with something else. But I did notice that. So uh, I actually went all the way down to through the tail uh, for that same reason. I didn't know if I was picking up on anything because my experience level with them is, you know, so minute. So that's how I can definitely tell females are females. Yeah. Just the tail. Yeah. It's like, all right, your body. I mean, there are other, other, other clues to like the, the females have a longer torso and body belly area because they have to expand for eggs. Mm -hmm. So you'll see basically the female has a a slightly longer body, but everything else is kind of short and stubby still. So, you know, she'll basically be long and sleek and, her front arms aren't going to be really huge. You know, these are, these are clues to look out for. So, right. You know, um, True with the Ackies too. Yeah. Actually, yeah. So you, you can almost apply this to many monitors. Um, have, do you see the, that, uh, that pair of uh, baby doom rolls that John posted just nope. recently? No, no, I don't, so, I don't yeah, they, need they, to see they, that. They, they went <laughs> up and when they went up and they were gone, but yeah, girl, they basically had, he had a 1.1 in his hand, just, just by looking at just by looking at it you know like right sure they may be the same size same age but man you could just tell like this one is just smaller build has that head has the tail this yeah. one is same age but it's a honker you yeah know? and um yeah that's oh that's, that's like tail. remember those sand monitor babies the the first two out of the egg like Sure enough, it, I've kept up with the uh, where they went and their their new owners, and it does look like they're a pair. So I mean, they're in two separate locations, but um, for sure, you can almost see it right out of the egg when they were together. It's like, oh, that one's going to be a male, or that one's a male, that one's a female, and sure enough, that's pretty much how it's playing out. Um, yeah. So it's kind of interesting. But oh man, did you want it? You you had mentioned getting into eggs, oh, and yeah. um, I had mentioned with where this all started as far as cutting into these Timor eggs that were, I'm sorry, the uh, peacock monitor eggs that went bad. I did eventually cut into them. I've cut a few eggs. I've cut, um, usually when I know stuff's hatching and I, or they maybe already pipped even, I cut an egg to get that cool eyeball photo. I did. I did. I did that. (laughs) Um, So these ones, uh, I had a save or I think I was saving them, but, um, so to start off, I had seven eggs, right? Um, basically, one egg was that uh, that that mysterious yellow the whole time. Yeah. So, so that's basically now six eggs. And then I had um, one die like 130 days in, right? When that yeah. one was albino. Remember that one? Fully formed shaped-wise but just missing the pigment so when it when i cut it open after it started to smell and mold um what was inside was an albino-ish looking animal but it wasn't albino it's just non-developed right? right and then i had one more that um so that leaves us at at like what five eggs now right or something like that and then i had another one that basically um pipped drowned in the egg oh man right um and then, uh, and then a second one came out, died. Um, and then I had three more eggs in a different container. And I was like, all right, all the other eggs have pipped. It's about 170 days. Let me just 
cut, right? And so, right. all right, before anybody says anything or, you know, I just want to be sure that um, I, I took it took a lot of restraint for me not to cut these eggs when all the other stuff was happening. So I just let them go, you know, try to let them do their own thing naturally. That's what I still recommend for anybody new now. Um, try to let the normal process flow. But there are times when you're not going to be able to or you see things happen and you kind of want to save these eggs or whatever. So I had a, a baby pop out or not pop out, but pip and then go back inside. I even gave it its time instead of kind of ripping at the egg, right, or tearing it up. I gave him its his 24 hours of, hey, you can come out on your own, do your thing. I go in the next morning and it's dead. So mm -hmm. I'm kicking myself in the foot at 3 a.m. in the morning, and then I, you know, it's uh, me and Mike on the phone. And uh, honestly, I only know him as being someone successful in cutting and saving eggs. Yeah. As you notice, he's done this with uh, his, I think, a couple clutches of uh, bigger monitors, some dwarf species like uh, King Gorums yep. and things like that, and uh, Ackies. And so I think um, he even mentioned it when he was on with us one of the yeah, times. Yeah, right. And so. Uh, um, I basically picked his brain, but I also picked a Rob from a nerd as well. And, uh, Jake, Jake snake mm -hmm. farm as well from nerd. Um, and then I watched their videos of how they typically do it. They also sent me training videos that they're just, it wasn't even a training video. It was just an example video that they went ahead and just showed me how to do it. And so, I still did not do it, okay, because I'm still very wary. I didn't want to just kill them and be like, oh, man, I'm just mass murdering these eggs because I couldn't wait. I didn't want to be that freak, right? And right. so um, uh, I was like, all right, this baby is dying. I got three more. Let's just let's just see. So I, uh, I pipped them. I pipped them, and then I basically circ uh, cut a circular around, around the top a little bit. I took out the... Dang, I don't even know what it's called. But it's not the membrane. It's just the fluid inside, the, mm -hmm. the, the, the juices and the, the goop, right? Um, that's protecting everything. So if you were to burst the egg prematurely, that would form a shell, a, a hard – it'll come out in goop, but it'll firm up and then basically protect the egg. So that's what that's designed for. But I removed that, took a chopstick – and then poked into the membrane, but not into the lizard, right? Just boop. And then took that same chopstick and then kind of lifted the monitor's head up out of the membrane, but not out of the egg. And then it just holds its head like it hatched out normally. Um, that's not exactly how Rob and them do it. They are just pipping them and then they let them come out a little bit naturally on their own. Um, some, I mean, I think, I think I've seen somewhere they have cut it open a little bit more, but to get the same picture or more so of just to see what's inside and they're my eggs. And I'm kind of really, you know, trying to study on the threshold of them really. Right. right. And so, um, I, I went ahead and cut all three eggs and, um, had them all come out on their own. A couple of them, sorry, one of them just, uh, as I, popped the egg the dude was ready to come out he just mm -hmm. shot out right at the egg um and so 
a little bit of his yoke was still there. And so what I did was I just pinched it with my fingers as the monitor's in my hand. And then I twisted it around. And then I used a pair of uh, very, very clean, small scissors. And I just snipped it right near the belly button. Um, and then I put calcium powder or any type of – you can use any powder. But I used calcium powder and I just patted it there as to be a coagulant for the blood there. And then basically it firms up, creates a scab, and it heals dryly, dry on its own. Yeah. Um, okay, again, I want to reiterate this. Please don't go cutting your eggs <laughs> unless like you, you maybe really, really need to and try and save them. But that's the only time that I'm really cutting them. When the first one is pipped, and okay, I'm getting an idea on when it's okay to do. Okay, but let's say if... Two people are incubating at two different temperatures, right? Let's say one one person does 81 degrees, but another person does 86 degrees, okay? The one that is incubating at 86 is going to hatch out his animals a lot faster, probably one or two months faster, okay? Mm -hmm. So even if I say, dang, 160 is a, a okay time frame, what if you're incubating cooler at 81? And so you take 200 days to hatch out. You'd be cutting super prematurely. So there's yep. there's a lot of variables here, and I don't want you to just follow me or follow Alan or follow Mike or whatever. We're doing it as a last precautionary thing because we want to save some eggs. That's right. It. Um, I'm really happy for the babies, and I'm really happy that I got to learn that. But you know, even with this full clutch, which I was hoping to hatch out because I've hatched out you know plenty before, but not not a big clutch like this. Um, I was hoping to do it, but, you know, life didn't make it easy for you. So basically, um, you know, giving me all the hard, all, all the hard and sour stuff at first with the premature stuff and the deformed babies and things like that inside and even the one that pips and then drowns. So, yeah, it's kind of tough to to really uh, take on if you're if you're n new to this and not really knowing what to do. I really you may just end up watching that egg shrivel up and go black and then deal with it later. You know, some people are still like that. They let everything happen on its own course. They don't save anything. You know, if it, if it was meant to be, it was meant to be. Um, you know, some of us are not exactly playing God, but we want to be able to be uh, a little bit more hands-on to the, to the eggs. And because Absolutely. I did this, um, I believe that I saved the three that I have now, um, you know, Granted that I did kind of cut them open a little bit, but uh, yeah, just was worried about losing these eggs where, dang, and like I mentioned before earlier, it took me a whole two years just to make these eggs. You know? You're right. You yeah, know, there's things like that. They're kind of controversial. Um, it doesn't matter the species you're working with, too. So across the board with cutting eggs and whatnot. Um, but I will say this, that... You should let things go naturally, especially if you have two healthy adults. If you got eggs, there's a good chance you'll get more eggs and you'll get another crack at it. Um, yeah. So there's that. Don't don't become so impatient that you think everything has to go right on that first clutch. It might not, but you're gonna get other clutches if you have two healthy animals. Um, so take that into consideration. Uh, but at the same time, because people are doing things like cutting eggs, like what Kai. 
um, explain that he did with his or that Mike has done. And now Mike's super comfortable with tying off umbilicus and, you know, going um, because he's done that. We now have access to that knowledge. You guys could probably reach out to Mike uh, or listen to where he's, he's brought up that topic before. Uh, and we're talking about Mike Stefani over at Mike's monitors. Um, you know, because the, the guys at nerd have, have done some of these things and gotten hands on messed it up maybe a few times in the beginning, they figured it out now so that all of us can benefit from this information. Okay. So, uh, as much as it might be controversial you say, just let it run its course. There's, there's a lot to be learned when you get hands on and you start messing with these things. Um, I got to hang out with two Python guys that, you know, they venture into to situations because of the, the size of their collections that vets have never even had to go into or really think of unless they are that one specialized vet somewhere in the U.S. that has dealt with this problem with reptiles. These guys figured things out on their own, had to solve problems by going hands on. And sometimes it's been with a pair of gloves and some kitchen scissors. Okay, but uh, they've saved animals. They've taken eggs out of animals. Um, I believe there's even a situation where they took eggs out and hatched oh. eggs. Um, so, you know, these are kind of some of the things that, yes, they're, they're oh. controversial. You might not like them. You might say let nature run its course, but we can also learn a lot from doing these things. Um, I don't miss an opportunity with like a deformed egg or something that I'm not sure of. I'll get in there. I'll try something different. I'll, um, I'll cut it open. I both with the monitor eggs and the snake eggs, just to kind of see what's going on. See why that egg looks deformed in this way. See why the, the, maybe the color of the egg has changed. Not during the process. Of course, this is obviously, you know, when either something's going wrong, I know the egg's not going to make it or, um, like Kai mentioned or, or like it's happened where, maybe the rest of the clutch is out and something still looks good. It just hasn't come out yet. Uh, I might wait a certain amount of time and decide, okay, now I'm going to take a peek inside and see what's going on. So, um, but they're your animals. When you get there, you make your own decisions with those things. Um, but like Kai said, there's a right way. Uh, listen back. You don't want to mess with some things that are going on in that side, that egg. Uh, obviously the embryo, uh, the, the membrane that holds that animal inside um, you might mess it up a few times. If you, if you're starting to get to that level where you're, you're in there and being invasive, but with that, hopefully will come knowledge on how to do it right. If you need to. So um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a tough one. You, you know, it's, it's, we're really bringing this out now, but even though it's been on, in videos on nerd and stuff like that, um, yeah. it's still, uh, you know, still a new subject. It's not sour or anything like that. Uh, I think I think five years ago, ten years ago, very sour, right? Because um, we, we we didn't have this science yet, or we didn't have this knowledge yet, or people may have done it and failed, and then that was the science then. But you know, we've had other people that are somewhat succeeding, um, right? And they're but the same thing, doing trying to save eggs from looking like they're about to drown which mm -hmm. we we all know too well when the eggs are really tight they look really really big all turgid shaped and stuff like that um not all the time are they going to drown but it's uh 
very common characteristic of eggs that drown. Right. Um, and so, and, <laughs> I mentioned it on here, but I had that with a clutch of Aki eggs. They like a month in turn into ping pong balls, almost perfectly round. And uh, showed Kai, and you know, I let it run its course just to see what would happen. They all hatched just fine. Uh, I've had it happen though with with other eggs, with Trista's eggs, where something like that happened, um, and it didn't go so well. So, <laughs> you know, you got to learn your animals and what they're capable of as well. And hopefully, that'll come with multiple clutches as you continue to be successful, um, and you learn what, I guess you're, you know there might be a range in which Indicus eggs absolutely thrive, but if no one's done the work to find that yet, then we don't, we don't have that knowledge yet, if that makes sense. So, um, you know, we, we have some history thanks to our predecessors that have done work with, you know, for the majority of the Australian monitors. Um, but let's say maybe we learned that Indicus eggs are a year long. They, they do better hatching at a year, but at, you know, 79 degrees or something like that. I don't know. It's just, there's so much to be learned still. Yeah. Or if I learned that, you know, uh, the same thing with the, the Timorensis, if they take more along the lines of like 120, 130 days at a much lower temperature than what I would incubate an Aki egg at, then that's going to lead me in that direction. And, and, you know, I'll share that knowledge as it comes. Um with everybody here and and say hey this is what's working for me so we we have a base and we have to learn from that the base for me um, has been australian monitors and so on a lot of things that's where i start um and then it's tweaking off of that and making the changes off of that as we're doing with as i'm doing now with the indonesian stuff um but i think there was something else you were you were mentioning kai before we get too far into the oh the the babies talk about oh, yeah. the, the the babies the baby mangroves yeah they look awesome oh. yeah they're they're uh they're killer man they're eating great eat from my hand um this would be i'm not sure what this is is this f so jody 2.5. Um, <laughs> yeah this is f 2.5 the females technically not captor bread but it's my female that makes everything so um yeah uh basically i'd taken the male produced it back with the female to prove that the parthenogenic part is actually fertile and and uh whole working and everything like that not just uh infertile duds or whatever so um jody's fertile and he makes pretty nice babies um Let's see here. Uh, part, what else is part of the project? Um, Which, you know, real quick, it's saying a lot because as we're talking about um, things like partho eggs, a lot of times partho eggs aren't as viable as um, your good eggs. Yeah, yeah, as normally produced eggs where you have the, the two parents in there. Mm. Um, and especially throughout the whole clutch where uh, your normal clutch, most of them you're going to assume to be good with a, with a partho clutch um you might have one maybe maybe two good eggs in there and mm. there's a lot of talk that the babies a lot of times have a harder start i mean from the egg harder incubation mm. harder start and so now for kai you're you're basically showing that hey um mm. not only is it possible in this species but it can be buried back i mean that's that's kind of huge thing and show that the offspring are 
will be viable. Um, yeah. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, so I wish I can keep them all, but I can't because there's going to be more babies coming. So I really got to um, watch my space and everything like that with the time frame. But um, I'm going to hang on to them for at least a couple months, watch them and everything. They seem to be doing uh, – they seem to be doing really great. So, you know, they're responding really well. They are, they like it a little bit cooler. It's already cold and they, they don't have both heat lamps on. They don't even like it that hot. Yeah. So I turned it down. Um, yeah. Basically giving them a photo period. So that way they know when to come out. Um, yeah. It's uh, they're a little bit different. Like the little Kimberly rocks. I can keep their lights on 24 seven and they don't really seem phased, you know, they right. come out when they want to come out. But, um, yeah. I wonder um, if that's kind of what we talked about earlier too, if that's a product of, uh, you know, generations and generations of captive bred upon captive bred animals. And, um, yeah. Where, yeah. Or, I don't know. I think also the, the mangroves, they don't like all that light. They don't like, yeah. they, don't like the, they don't like the intense heat and light. I've, I've been in a mangrove, basically forest. You walk on these like little planks and walkways because you, you're over water still. And I mean, it's dark in there. It's uh, the, the where they grow and how they grow. It's it's pretty dark in there. You get a little spooked. Uh, I lost the rest of the group because the, the trail kind of spidered off in different directions around this mangrove yeah. forest. I'm in a different country and I'm like, hey, guys. <laughs> you know, it got a little creepy in there and real quiet. It was interesting. Um but yeah, it it's not the same as the, your desert sun that you're gonna get in Australia somewhere. You're right. I mean, yeah, just, this, this, it just seems like um, uh, anything too hot, man. And I notice them; they just they don't come out, right? And so mm-hmm. I wait, and I'll turn the temperatures down, and I'll dim it down, or I'll change the bulbs, and I'll get it to a point where they come out and they're hovering around the basking area and bask a little bit. That's the behavior I want, you know. Mm-hmm. I don't want the ones where they're just they quickly bass and then just disappear. So um yeah, you know, just uh it's a little tough it's a little it's a little tough where I wish they would uh all right man, make it easy for me, you know, just be like like some Ackies or be bulletproof. They're they need a little bit of coaxing. So like this is how their day their day starts. I, I crank on their light, right? And mm-hmm. then I just spritz the cage and then I kinda wakes them up and they come out. And they'll get a drink and then I go in and offer food. Uh, I leave food in a dish for the ones that don't or that aren't tong feeding and then I actually try to feed the ones that are are out and bold just so I can get that that bond with them. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I'm going to be trying it here with the uh talking on feeding, trying it with the Dorianus, the the one I mentioned, the the bigger male. Um yeah. he's already He's a sweetheart, um, but the two babies, man, one went for the glove today. I was gloved up when I went in after him just to dig him up and see how the progress is going. And uh, one of them locked on. Fortunately, there was, even as babies, they were some, like, thicker leather-tipped gloves at the end. Um, I do not want to take a bite from those guys. So uh, now that I know that they're doing good and they're eating, they're taking down, um, you know, full-size dubia and pretty good size rodents and whatnot. I'm going to, um, not, I know I, I have tons of different options on what to feed them. They're feeding on a bunch of different things. I'm going to definitely change it up a bit. And, uh, I mean, we, we mentioned feeding smaller, 
um, items. So these were like, I would say like a, a small adult mouse that they were able to take down, but I'm, I'm going to change it up. So I don't necessarily yeah. want to be. I started here. doing uh, such small fragments of food. It's, it's crazy, man. Like, yeah. um, so for, okay. For training, right. And for just maybe spacing out some of his food or their food. Right. Um, I don't allow any of my females to like hop down a huge chunk. It, it just basically makes them uncomfortable. Um, I, so I give them little, it's, itty bits so i cut them into like nickel size pieces right mm -hmm. um and these are two to three foot lizards so they're, they're kind of small bits and then even my males i kind of just do like a quarter size or half dollar size bits they're a little bit bigger so you know these are three or four foot lizards um and i, I rarely ever give them huge chunks anymore and they they come and they you know they're chasing it a lot better they are gulping it down ready for the next thing um you know, basically, I'm making them exercise more, and it's not a ton of food, you know. Right. Um, so, yeah, it's uh, it's beneficial for for me. And then, you know, my females basically get to taper down so much fed that way, and um, I don't have to really worry about being them being too fat. Um, I, I used to just, all right, here's a plate of food, just polish it right. off. And, <laughs> yeah, but now, uh, now I'm much more conservative on the food and if they cycle they cycle if they don't they don't i, I don't want to just force them into one by just feeding them a lot or yeah or they have they they don't they're not able to burn all of that energy right. doing anything so it's like uh you're just getting fat then oh man even the baby so i feed them like i would say i probably feed them three times a week and um when i send you the, the videos i mean they're they're yeah. growing good. They're thick. Um, and that's just off of three times a week. Uh, there's, it's so funny to see how different things, you know, can take on food and uh, um, what the different food items too. that. So what I'm using, I'm also using, so I'm doing uh, Dubia, the rodents, but I'm also doing egg with just um, some calcium powder in there. They seem to actually really like the egg. I don't have a whole lot of animals that will just readily go to egg like that. Um, yeah. Usually, if I know they're hungry, then they'll kind of all right. I'll eat this, but yeah, they absolutely right now. These young ones, they love that egg. Um, so I don't know. I'm having fun with them, man. Uh, now that I've yeah, gotten yeah. over the hurt a little bit, <laughs> the ones that that killed over on me. Um, yeah, uh, yeah. I actually um, like all the stuff that I had to deal with with the last stressful what three or four months, bro. I mean, yeah. it's all satisfied now, you know. Yeah. And then I have a whole another clutch of Kimberly's that I'm preparing to hatch out right now. So I just see that's put, awesome. Yeah, I just put a bunch of dry, dry material in there to soak up the eggs. I got to check the eggs extra after, after this now, change that stuff. Yeah. And then, um, yeah, man. It's, uh, it's crazy. Is, that, is that what you got incubating right now? You got Kim's or you got any more Indicus incubating? I have one Kai Island egg. Yeah. And then I have one random Kimberly egg that I found. <laughs> yeah i don't know man just, is it good or is it one of those zombie eggs looks good but good it's stuff. only like it's only like a month old so okay yeah it looks, it looks good um it's white and firm it's not that like ghost white looking look you know where we can yeah. tell oh, man, it doesn't look that great yeah right um so yeah it looks looks good i have uh so the kyle and one is doing well and that well that one egg is is um solid with veins and everything like that so i'm hoping we can get it there 
to the next to the next level and basically hatch that egg. Um, it should just be like the other Indicus eggs, you know, at a good uh, 84 degrees and mm-hmm. seems to be doing fine. I got it on a lower shelf. Um, and yeah, man, we'll just we'll wait to see how it goes. I'm basically at my next step now. Like last year was giving me eggs, but they're infertile, right? Yeah. Um, I even sat on those eggs and they just ended up looking like they were going the full term but never grew and not yeah n- never did anything when i cut them open they were smelly so i was like oh whatever um but you know this is it this yeah it's a whole another year now um so this year we've got eggs um before the year ends so you know, that's good yeah um and then i have like uh pairs that are paired together but i i after now that I've hatched these out and just thinking about it now, I should probably be preparing them a little bit more just because I've been focused on a couple other pairs and, um, you know, getting these things to hatch out. Those other pairs just went into their new cage. So I'm not really trying to breed them just yet. Let them get settled in, less frantic, know each other and things like that. They're, they're in, in the same cage, but there's a partition in that cage. So... They can't they can't get to each other um no dude i gotta get like a small vacuum hose because any other pvc tube he just fits right through dude you gotta get like a small i got someone that's just hey bro send me your old used vacuum hose just so i can connect it as a as a, a travel tube through the cages yeah because um yeah the the square works the square cutout that i works it, it works and i have to put a little piece of of a plank there right mm-hmm. to make it even smaller because it's what like four by four or something like that so the actual male he can get through without a problem i made it that way so i can make it smaller rather than having to try to force it out bigger right, right? um and then um yeah man i gotta figure out a, a tube to put there so she can travel in and out and like it's it's no it's no problem it's it's not that it's easy. Be hard. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I, like, uh, it's Krusty's idea, and motherfucker used the old vacuum tube. So, <laughs> that, like, that that can only be done if I have a vacuum from like the Hoover ninety. You know? <laughs> like, they don't even this make is what you need here. Yeah. yeah, checking out eBay for. <laughs> I'm gonna ask somebody online. Watch. I'm gonna send it. I'm gonna send it in a little bit. Like, hey, does anybody have an old vacuum tube that's about like? Two and a half inches in diameter. Go check out the old thrift stores, the Goodwill stores. I'm sure they'll have what you need. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. that old. Uh, you know, you know what I'm talking about. It's that tube that connects to the side. It's like yep. most vacuums don't even have that tube anymore. Yep. It's a straight canister now. So it's like, um, yeah, I got to get that. <laughs> um, yeah, man. I'm just, if any listeners are out there and you have uh, one of those, don't, you know, time for a new vacuum, send it to Kai. He's got things going on here. <laughs> yeah. I need the, just the hose. I just need the hose. Yeah. Yeah, Kai uh, needs hose, guys. Kai needs hose. <laughs> old ones, old ones. Oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, man. So, uh, yo, uh, what's your weather been like? Mine has been back and forth. It's like, some days 70s, the other day it was 90, and I don't know. That's why I'm getting sick, I think. 
Uh, it's been low 70s at the highest. It's been mainly in the high 60s and uh, to low 60s. Um, so definitely the weather's changed. It's, you know, we've had my some next, rain. And... My next Thursday uh-huh. is going to be 90 degrees here. Are you serious? Yeah, but then Tuesday is 70. That's so insane. I don't even understand this weather. And I have to adjust again. Yeah. I'll have to just, like, really watch my temperatures those days and turn stuff off. Yeah, yeah my my high is 68. Days. Most of them are low 60s this week. So, um, Those are good. Yeah, I can deal with that. That's that's fine. It's just remembering when it happens and going around and changing the bulbs and doing it at the right time because, you know, we have those weeks where over here where I'm at, it's um, we can kind of have that Indian summer. So it's like one week's cool. You want to go yeah. change the bulbs. But if you did it, then all of a sudden you got some, you know, days back in the 90s or 100 and it's too hot. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. You got to definitely be on the safe side of that. Now I've been able to go around and change bulbs to higher wattages as I've needed to. And, and man, I ordered these bulbs. Um, it's getting harder and harder to find the right kind of bulbs out here. But I ordered these bulbs that were like a pack of six, what they call reptile bulbs, right? These little halogens, right? They looked, for whatever reason, they looked different in the picture when I got them. They're like the size of those nano bulbs that Zoomed uses. Yeah. But they're like 50 watts. And so they look like a like a little Hershey kiss of a of a light bulb that fits in like the E26, E27 sockets. And I don't know if they're gonna work very well. Um, I'm gonna check up a few different lighting options just for these like little mini bulbs. But the thing is, it's some of them are 30 watts, and the other set I got is 50 watts. That's a lot of heat, even if I hooked up three of them because they're so small. You know, um, that's 150 watts. That's like something I'd use in the big enclosure, maybe. I don't know. Yeah, and it's the little bulbs, too. Those little bulbs that get extremely hot, they never do well. Yeah. Because it's so much volume of heat in that little-ass bulb. I I can barely get them to to last a couple months, you know. Yeah. Um, Like that 35-watt nano bulb that's quite strong. It's, they suck. I don't know. <laughs> they, like they get so hot, and then it it, it, it melts from the ring. Like yeah. the ring, the, the ring actually, they just it, the the cauterizing just comes right off, right? So yeah, it's kind of an annoying bulb to use. That's why I use the slightly bigger bulb, even though it's a thirty-five watt bulb. It's the the BR thirties, and yeah, and, that's uh, what I want. But I'm there. So it's like Amazon's going through yeah. and listing, yeah. you know. Cannot ship, cannot ship. I used yeah. to have some sneaky ways to get it, and now I still can't. So I think uh, there's a guy who's still sending some to some people, but he's he's down to like specific bulbs. It, he, it may not be a variety anymore. Right. But man, uh, I guess if you need some, um, should we do this? Should we do this I off mean, the yeah, air? Yeah, I mean, I basically have dudes <laughs> send them to me all the time. Guy's got the connect. <laughs> yeah, man. Just have a. Have somebody and uh, have somebody and have them ship them into you, man. I mean, I pay them for their footwork. You know, they're right. definitely no longer three dollar bulbs after everything. But uh, I'm paying for contraband bulbs now, right? So might as well. Right. Well, the funny thing is, good. if they're labeled at, the way I understand the laws, if they're labeled as reptile bulbs, they can yeah. still be sold. Right. So somebody out there just slap reptiles on the outside of the cardboard. And, Send them over. 
I need them. Um, I'm getting low already. I'm looking at winter and I'm looking at the because you know, sometimes these bulbs they only last two months or so. Um, yeah. something could go wrong, whatever. Uh, you got a monitor swinging from the dome. Um, whatever it is, sometimes they burn out, sometimes there's an accident. Um, I need to have a stock on hand for these or find some idea that works differently. I, I'm coming up with certain things, but none of them are easy. It's just easy to be able to take out and screw in a new bulb. If I could find someone to work with me and machine basically bend some metal so I can use, uh, make my own banks of these little mini halogens, I would go that route and just turn everything into mini halogens and just use yeah. like a series of 20 watts. But until that happens, you know, I still need these, uh, um, like you said, the par 30s, par 38s, yeah. and whatnot. Those are still some of the best bulbs. Yeah, I was mentioning yeah. online on my Facebook that uh, I only use par 38s mostly during wintertime. Yeah. Um, but I, during summertime, because it's so hot and I don't like the cages so blistering hot, the lizards don't like it either. I, 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 I use the BR 30s, 45 watts. Those are. The typical people, um, the chameleon people use those bulbs because they don't, they don't burn their chameleons as they get so close to the bulb, you know? Yeah. I yeah, think yeah. I wanted to look it up right now. Um, we're getting towards the end of this, but uh, if I can share it with maybe the other California people, I think there's a few other states that are going the way of California. Sorry, guys. I, no, yeah. It's, it's, I think it's, uh, what do you call it? It's um, the whole energy efficiency mm -hmm. and the the bulbs basically crank too much out they're trying to conserve more i mean overall um not not a lot of people like it right because it messes with you know their can their convenience of stuff but right if you haven't noticed the, the world's trying to take shape and go greener and right. so some things we may not be able to do anymore like something as simple as or or i would say dumb as um straws being banned right it, it, just things like that. You see stuff that we, we would think try to be progressive, but sometimes it can be, you know, hindering to what people have going on already. Right. Mm -hmm. And so it kind of makes it less convenient and, you know, we feel like we're suffering and stuff like that. Um, it's it, hard, does man. Suck, you know, it does suck for California, big lizard keepers because, um, you know, we're really limited on bulbs I can get. And for right. the last two years, instead of wasting my time getting, rejected and rejected and rejected um by amazon or by other shippers i just have friends ship them in man i paid them yeah i paid them some extra money to just do the footwork for me take their wives out to go eat or whatever and typically does the job you know yeah um, no i agree i'm i'm pretty much headed the same route i was just trying to find there's somebody that actually lists oh here it is i think it's pangea um pangea reptile.com and you can still get the, like, here's a 75 watt. It's labeled as a reptile bulb. So it's uh, it's like 11 bucks. Um, and I think they have a, like a two pack or a four pack or something like that. Um, of course, no connection with them. Um, I think I've bought maybe one or two things from them in the past. Uh, never talked to really anybody over there. So. Uh, I was just saying that somewhere for if you're in California or you're some another state where you're having trouble, they do list these bulbs as reptile bulbs, so you can still order them and get them over here yeah. or so, wherever you are. And in a way, let's say if worse comes to worse, right, and you're left with uh, some smaller reptile bulbs, and 
you obviously can't get the basking floodlights or other other beneficial bulbs that you would typically do the job for you right what i would recommend you do <clears throat> whatever bulbs you're trying to get get the smaller wattages and make a bank mm -hmm. that way you're less likely to burn if it, it distributes and proportionalizes the heat out a little bit more broadly rather than having a 150 watt bulb that you're left to use say say you have an eight foot because we're, we're talking about big lizards here right so might as well do the math for big stuff so say you have an eight foot cage eight foot cage is going to take at least 100 200 watts to, to heat up roughly um especially during the winter time maybe not so much during the summertime it really just depends on how cold or hot you keep your house <clears throat> but let's just say you were to do um 200 watts right but using one 200 watt bulb obviously is just going to be way too hot if centralizes the heat way too much and it can might as well definitely burn your animal mm -hmm. um, so what you want to do is take three or four 50 watts or 35 watts right so if you were to do that math it'd be 150 to 200 watts roughly right and then let's say if you were to take four or five 35 watt bulbs um it's going to equal roughly the same math and what you're trying to do is just take that and make it more broad um rather than having let's say like uh two 100 watt bulbs right next to each other you know and this would be better for your animal overall. It'll disperse heat a lot better. Um, so it's something to think about. If you are left with the, you don't have resources like me and you can't have people shipping stuff into you. So Kai, these are the, uh, there's a four pack. It's $39 and it's, um, they're labeled. So it's $39 for a four pack. Basically they're 50 watt um, halogen bulbs. So I'd have to adjust, you know, for the 50 watt. I don't know if you can see it here. I'm going to try to – no, that doesn't even can't really – Can't see it. There uh, it yeah, is. I can see it now. So oh, – yeah, that, That's pretty cool. That's a good bulb. Yeah. So that's not bad. I'm sorry you yeah, guys can't see what we're looking at. But, that's not uh, bad at all. Yeah. 50 watts. I can make that work. Um, that might be what I have to do. So yeah. – uh, but anyways, we're, we covered a few things. I think next – time we record we're gonna for the next show we're gonna try to get a guest on um talking about some specific things some specific species and um whatnot going forward now that me and kai are kind of coming out of a uh you know busy 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 now. yeah <laughs> i'm sick but i got a lot of stuff going on work is uh work is still you know demanding and grasshoppers are still demanding and yeah um I still will be shipping all winter. So, you know, uh, the grasshoppers are pretty durable that way. And customers, you know, they're tired of dealing with crickets dying and roaches yeah. dying. They basically have a threshold of 60 degrees. Anything below that, those bugs are dead, you know. Yep. Um, so the grasshoppers can take almost freezing practically. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah, man. Uh, so, yeah. Uh, you want to close this up? or Yeah, let's gonna... do it. Yeah? Okay. All right. Thank you guys for listening. Uh, go ahead and check out MoreliaPythonRadio.net or .com. You can get there both ways. And check out their store. They got a few cool things. Um, I think this 
last go around, if I'm not mistaken. So traditionally, NPR does a calendar contest. So you submit photos. Usually it's been different types of Morelia. This last contest, they actually had a section for monitors. So you got to get on to their Facebook group, join the group, and um, hopefully, you know, there'll be a, a better showing of monitors this next coming season for the calendar. But this last one was pretty good. There's some excellent photos submitted, um, all different types. I think there needs, if I'm putting it out there, I think there needs to be a, a U.S version and the australian version because that's just unfair you guys have access to way too much you get the whole natural you know rock outcroppings with that great australian sky in the background how do we compete with that we can't compete with that. that's uh, that's cheating <laughs> so um but check those things out check out the other podcasts there uh check out their store and if you'd like to support the podcast and npr uh go ahead and check out their patreon uh, we thank you guys for listening and until next time.